0: The book of John about his identity, we try and see, Jesus, how can I be more like you? Or how can you be more in my life so that I can move into a greater part of my future? That is the reason we look at Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's read. We're going to read John 1, verses 1 to 14. On the SV it should come up behind me. It goes like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Say, in the beginning was the Word. He was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which, come, which gives light to everyone who comes into the world or who is coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. The book of John is very interesting. Do you know the other three gospels, what they're called, or their names? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, those are the four. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often linked together because they are very similar in what they say, whereas the book of John kind of stands out compared to them. If you didn't know this, there's, there's a lot of controversy about it, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John can kind of be split in half, whereas you have Matthew and John would be the eyewitnesses. Matthew was the tax collector who was a disciple. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved a fisherman. They are the eyewitnesses. On this side, we have Luke, and we have John or John Mark. John Mark. They weren't the eyewitnesses. Luke is said to be a doctor, but also kind of like an investigative reporter who would have been alive and in the kind of alive at the time Jesus was and went and did an incredible investigation to find out as much as he could about Jesus. John Mark, in today's language, would seem to be a PA, you know, like a personal assistant. He was like a personal assistant to Peter and Paul, literally would have just received everything from them and understood Now, all four, led by the Holy Spirit, wrote the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the other reason that John stands so different is because John is like the BFF. Self-proclaimed as well. But apparently through church fathers, they also knew. Because remember, I once said this, who knows Nelson Mandela? Put your hand up. Put your hand up if you know of Nelson Mandela. Not know him personally. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows of Nelson Mandela? Put your hand up. Pretty much all of us. Who of you know good things about him? Put your hand up. Who of you know a whole bunch of bad things about him? Very few. Who of you know his reputation? In your mind, is it a good reputation or a bad reputation? It's a good reputation. Does he have a reputation for um, genocide? For just killing huge amounts of people? For injustice? He doesn't. Do you think that will ever be his reputation? It will never be his reputation the same as these men who have lived on the earth the same as jesus his reputation is the way it is because that's who he was people can make up stuff and just put it on the internet and call it something and that'll that then becomes truth but his reputation and their reputation stands and has always stood the way it is so john being Jesus' best friend he was the last writer of the gospels his gospel was lost I almost thought of it like this. John would be the best if you're looking for a biography of Jesus. John's gospel would be his biography. One of the theologians says that John's gospel is the safest to read for someone who's just met Jesus for the first time, but also has the most depth. They say that if it was a pool, a child could play in that pool because it's safe for a child, but also a whole elephant could fit in that pool because it's got such depth to it. Because he was the one who spent the most time with Jesus. I would almost call it a biography of this is who Jesus was because I was his right-hand man, as it were. Quite incredible, don't you think? He had the understanding or the wanting that everybody who reads his book needs to see Jesus as the living expression of who God was. People need to believe in Jesus. People need to believe that he was God come down to earth. People need to believe in the person and the work of Jesus. People need to believe that Jesus brought something of the kingdom to earth. Did you know the word believe is mentioned over a hundred times in John's gospel? John wants you and I to believe. He wants us to believe. Interestingly enough, John was a fisherman and they say that he was... Kind of, Jesus called him while he was mending nets. Something of a prophetic um, action of that one day this gospel that he penned or part of his ministry would be mending people's hearts. Those who don't believe, those who struggle with belief, those who are struggling with a form of sin will come into a relationship of not just believing Jesus exists, but believing that Jesus can free them from whatever is holding them back. Incredible, right? So as we start reading in verse 1, Before the I am statements, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, before those even come into play, before the miracles, before the cross, before the resurrection, the very first words John starts his gospel with is, In the beginning was the word. Have you heard in the beginning before? The very start of the Bible, right? The very start of the Bible. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Isn't it interesting? The first thing John wants his readers to know is that Jesus was before time, He existed in eternity remember Abraham, remember Isaac, remember Jacob, remember Moses, remember the patriarchs, remember Egypt, remember all the things that God has done. Wait, wait, wait. Before you even start there, what I want you to know is that Jesus was before all of that. Jesus was before. In fact, it was through Jesus that everything was made. It was through Jesus that everything is held together. Amen. Jesus brought an incredible light into the world. And there's a statement which I heard a very, very long time ago, which you may have heard as well. It goes like this, light embraced is darkness rejected. You cannot have light in the room and have darkness in the room. If light is gone, darkness is there. Where there is light, darkness has to flee. Jesus came to surround us with light. I want to show you a picture of surrounding. Are you ready for it? might get a little bit crazy. John Mark, can you grab that bucket of water for me? This is John Mark. If you don't know, he's our intern. He's incredibly good looking and multi talented. You can you can hold it there and I'm gonna ask you to follow me. So very often we come to Jesus like this. Hopefully I don't feed back. Is that I said the light of Jesus surrounds us. This is what we expect of the light of Jesus. Come follow me, John Mark. You're not getting baptized by the way? Don't throw it on anyone unless I point. (laughs) There's a sprinkling, right? Can you put it on the pulpit there on stage? Yeah, don't pour it in the electricity because you'll get a, not a Holy Spirit shock you can put on the top here. Thanks. So there's a sprinkling. There's, There's a sense of us living in this sprinkling of what Jesus is doing. You know, a little bit of light is okay, but a full illumination, I don't know if I can handle that. The sprinkling is okay. It's a little bit of rain. It's okay. I can handle that. But that's not the picture of what Jesus wants to do. He wants to do this for you and for me. You're probably asking yourself, how's he going to get a whole person in that little bucket? So easy. I got two people. (laughs) have you ever wondered why i read this jesus instituted two things which he felt most important that kind of we weren't doing one was kind of the lord's supper the breaking of bread the other one was baptism jesus why what is the point of baptism do you think it just kind of is something that happened or god was like this sounds like a good idea let me show you the picture Girl or boy, I think it doesn't matter. I'm just, I'll do both just so that there's no hurt or offense. It's interesting that when you're baptized, the word baptism means full submersion. Fully surrounded by water. Fully washed. Have you ever been in water completely? I know, silly question, right? It surrounds every part of you. Every single Crevice and orifice, every part of you is completely drenched and wet. When you come out, you're dripping with the goodness of God. It's amazing how Jesus says, when we're baptized, it's like going into the grave, right? Just like He went into the grave, washed clean, completely drenched in His love and His goodness. Drenched in it. You can't get more wet than that, right? You can't get more soaked and saturated than that. And just like He came out of the grave, we so too came out of the grave, dripping, with his goodness resurrected from the dead friends is there such a better picture if you've been baptized once you're not getting baptized again remind yourself of his goodness because it's like they'll go dry and, and that'll be the end of that but you never dry from the inside and it's amazing how we're totally and totally drenched totally saturated it's not just your outside physical body that's not the picture or the only picture The picture remains your body, your soul, your spirit, your emotions, the breakthrough you need, your brokenness. All of it is saturated in the love of God. And that's where you're supposed to remain. Saturated in the love of God. Amen? Isn't that a cool picture of baptism? Who wants to get baptized for the second time or third time? So speaking about being surrounded in the water, but being surrounded by the light. I know there's the the inward change, and this is... Showing the inward changes and outward expression of that inward change I felt God give me three words this morning normally I wait for the end to say this but I think it's so right to say it now especially coming out of worship I felt like I'd say there are three lots of people in this room those who are still stuck in darkness and I felt like God say this morning perhaps it lines up with what Star said this morning God is going to give you a key perhaps this morning you're going to be able to turn on the light and where you cannot see what's going around you and you cannot see the way ahead God is going to shine a light to show you the way ahead if you feel like you're fighting or you're fallen, you have not yet lost, friends. Jesus has not lost and he won't. You have not lost and you won't. If you feel like you're fighting something or you've fallen because of something, you have not yet lost. Turn to the person next to you and say, You haven't lost. Your victory's around the corner. Come on, that's that's not prosperity. That's not trying to make you happy. That's the reality that we live in, right? That is the reality, and sometimes you have to grab hold of it because we can almost hear it and not receive it. Remember what Jake said, if someone else isn't going to receive it, you take it. Let it be yours. Don't waste it. It's like if someone came in that back door with a huge amount of hamburgers, whatever you think is the most healthy hamburger. If they came in with that and said, there's enough, are you going to go, no thanks? Because I know between myself and Bruce, we'll take yours then it'll be gone before it even gets to you it'll be gone if you don't actually go and receive it and say god i receive it somebody will receive it on your part hamburgers are so tasty and the last one is if you're covered in light if you feel like jesus i feel your light i feel your presence right now you need to say something to him you need to acknowledge him you need to say god i feel your light i feel your presence thank you you need to show gratitude you need to acknowledge it so that you can hear yourself acknowledge it sometimes we just go i feel you god that's good but sometimes you need to speak it out. God, I feel you. I, I sense you. You are so good. Will you give me more? I love spending time with you. There's, I had this picture yesterday. I have, we have a three-year-old now, and it's amazing. If you your parents, your kids learn two words first. The first one is, no. The second one is, mine. I started to look at Lauren, and I thought, are we having conversations where I say to her, babe, do you want some tea? And she's like, no, mine. Um, I'm just going to go for a run. No, mine. That's not how our language happens. How on earth did she learn no and mine? Okay, She wasn't in school then. Now she's learned something new. So if I say something to her, and she goes to play school. So if there's anybody else here, there are a couple of people in this church who go to that play school. I want to just have a word with you. So I go to Emma. <laughs> Emma, here's your toothbrush. You need to brush your teeth before we go out. She's learned No, I won't. I don't speak like that. I know I'm married to a redhead, but she doesn't speak like that either. So I don't know where Wade is. You're probably not here yet. Oh, there you are. Is that you, bro? Is that how you talk to your wife? (laughs) I'm kidding. But there's this almost like, you know, when God speaks to us, sometimes we can have that attitude and not realize it. You know? Like, no, mine. No, mine. I need you to lay this down. Or I'm seeing something in your life that needs to change. No, mine. Or no, I'm not going to. <laughs> the, that needs to change. That needs to change. Shes 20 minutes. That's the intro. Okay. So we're going to look at verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We're going to break this apart into four different things, and then we're going to close. We're done. We're not going to be long. So the first part is the word. When I speak a word, in a sense, it's part of me. It's come from inside of me. The lungs that I have have made the air or have the air that pushes out through my throat and my mouth, and I make the sound. The words I speak are very much part of me. They're breathed out of me. And when you hear it, you intend or you assume I mean it. Is that right? When you hear what I say, you know that I mean it. When you hear someone say, or someone says something and you go, but you say that you do that. You are confronting them because their actions don't match their words. Have you ever heard someone say these words? I love you. It's time to go. You're fired. Those words directly change the atmosphere, the scenario. And I'm not talking about us speaking positively. I'm not talking about pretending everything's okay, because if you do, it'll be okay. The power of positive thinking. What a load of hooey. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we act according to the words spoken. We have a response that needs to be made. Words affect us and often remain with us. So in the Old Testament, when God spoke, he usually acted in and of his word. Psalm 33 verse 6 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By his spoken word, he made things. His spoken word is something that will last. It is something that comes out of his mouth and it brings life. It brings healing. It brings hope. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish that which I desire and achieve the purpose which I sent it. Michael Eaton says this. He says he, speaking about Jesus, is the Father's way of speaking and communicating and acting upon everything he has created he is the father's way of speaking and communicating and acting upon everything he has created john is saying to us who read his book to the audience to everybody that the word is not merely a principle it's a person it's not an apparition jesus isn't an apparition who like appears he's not mystical like that he's a person who lived on the earth do you know where Jesus is right now? I love asking this question. Do you know where Jesus is right now? Do you know where he is? Don't tell me he's alive. We all know he's alive. <laughs> he's sitting at the Father's right hand. It's not a trick question. That's where he is in form. He's sitting at the Father's right hand. Do you know what he's doing right now? He's speaking. Do you know what he's speaking? He's praying for you and for me. He's interceding on your behalf and mine. Isn't that encouraging? Jesus, who won the victory, the very next thing that he, or the thing that he is doing now, after winning the victory, I would be like on a parade. I would come back to earth and parade around. Or I'd be trying to find where the devil is and just keep whispering. You know you're going to lose. You've got this much time left. You're dead. You're done. Wait for him again. Hey, uh, I'm not sure if you knew, but you've lost already. Instead, he sits at the Father's right hand and he's speaking. He's praying about you and about me. And he's praying God's will. And he's praying our futures into being. Incredible, isn't it? Point two, the word speaking about Jesus became flesh. This is what the word flesh means in its original form. It means a soft substance of living body which covers bones and is permeated by blood. Supernatural king coming into a very natural world, covered with skin. Skin that could be hurt, skin that could be damaged, skin that could be stripped from its bones. You know, in in Greek mythology, most of us have heard of Greek mythology where there are these gods with incredible powers and they come to earth and fight and throw thunder and all that kind of stuff. It's amazing how this would have blown their minds completely. They would have been left stunned. God came to earth in the form of human being, not losing any of his deity. He was still completely God, but he took on the very form of man and he entered into humanity. And like Julian said, that word dwelt among us means to tabernacle. He came specifically to be with us. He didn't come to just rule us. He didn't come to do anything other than to be with you and I and to love us. That blew their minds. For them, a God or a deity was something of power and came to administrate their power. It was something that wanted everybody else to know who they were and that they were stronger than. The first, Jesus came to be the very last, the servant to administrate the fullness of the power of the kingdom of god and show us how that's done in love and serving people it just blew their minds incredible it's actually outrageous to tell this to people isn't it did you know god came to earth what really yeah he came here and he died we killed him but he loved us so much and he continued to love us all the way through and now after we killed him he still loves us that's outrageous who does that who does that other than someone who loves completely God stepping into our human context of humanity. Billy Graham says this, speaking about the incarnation, about God coming in human form. He says that the incarnation of Jesus being on earth cannot be reduced to the following. He says it cannot be reduced to a philosophy of life. He says Jesus is not Socrates with a beard, nor Plato with a Jewish accent. He did not give learned lectures on the nature of reality, the science of knowledge, or the structure of the universe. He's not a code of behavior. No one receives eternal life by keeping a certain set of rules, following the works of the law, or doing the best that he or she can. And he says that Jesus did not come to start a political movement. He didn't have political revolutionaries of his day. He remained sovereign over all politics and everything. And it's amazing that in Jesus' humanity, there are three things that he needed to do, he had to do. And if you want to take anything away today, besides the fact that you can't be baptized two times, it's these three things— Firstly, that Jesus needed to pray. Jesus needed to pray. We had John Bevere here and Lisa a couple of weeks ago, and I just saw him say, I don't know when, the past couple of days, he said, prayer is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. Prayer is not a conversation where I ask God for something, and then he doesn't say anything. You know, we're not in a sitcom where you walk into the distance and stare and have a conversation no one else is in the room and wonder what is going on. That's not what it is. It's a dialogue. It's us speaking and God speaking back. In our community groups at the moment, we have Bruce and Danae moving around teaching us about the prophetic. How do you hear God's voice? And I love that they're so real. They won't go, we can hear him and maybe if you pass enough money, we can teach you how. You know, it's a special skill you have to learn. It's, it's, it's only four people. Do you think God's intention is only that some people can hear him and not all can? It's that we can all dialogue with him. We can all hear him for ourselves, for others to encourage. It's wonderful what they're doing. If you're not in a community group, you need to be. They've already got two down, right? A couple more to go. Make sure. If you want to go from community group to community group and follow them around, you can do that as well. Is that cool? Is that weird? A little bit weird, but it's cool. The second thing that Jesus needed to do was he needed to live by strength that the Father gave him. You only get strength from someone who you know. I've been so caught up by the word intimacy. Intimacy has such a huge connotation around it, often negative, about what it actually means, or often demasculating about what it means. It sounds like a girl word. It's not a girl word. That's feminist. It sounds like this. It's not, you know? But at its root, intimacy means to know. means really to know. If you know somebody well enough, then you know them. You're intimate with them. Essentially, you can be intimate with a friend, and know them really well. God wants to be intimate with us, so he, know, he really knows us, so that we can know Him, so He can reveal Himself. And that's where we receive strength. And the last one is, Jesus needed the guidance of the Holy Spirit. If you have not got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, or you're so unaware of Him living inside of you, or you don't feel His prompting or His voices, we'll have leaders that can pray for you and ask the Holy Spirit to fall on you. It's amazing when you start to feel God regenerate you from the inside. You realize when you walk in somewhere, you don't go alone anymore. That's how the prophetic works it's the Holy Spirit. That's how worship works it's the Holy Spirit. And each person has this incredible invitation. Third point is seen his glory. Who's ever seen God's glory? Put your hand up. Awesome. I thought no one would put their hands up. It's amazing. So the glory of God almost sounds like something mystical, like, like showers of gold dust in a cloud of sweet smelling, like someone just made cakes or something like that. It's like almost unbelievable. What does glory mean? And essentially, I, I was reading one article where someone said, glory is concrete. God showed us his glory in that when Jesus came down to earth, he was, we were able to see him and we were able to touch him. It was a concrete thing. It wasn't a mystical, have I seen it or haven't I seen it? It was there in front of their faces. Even to the extent where glory sounds like it's, it's a fun or a, like a fantasy experience. And the Bible says that Jesus was glorified when he was crucified. On the cross, he was most glorified. And that was God's glory being displayed in Jesus' suffering. I'm not preaching to you about suffering. I'm saying the thing of glory is the reality we live in. And sometimes we see the outbursts of miracles and healings and those kinds of things. And that is glorious. But sometimes we stand in church together and we sing about who Jesus is and we sing it out and we speak it out. And that's the glory of God resting on us because he's given us the gift of worship and he's given us the gift of church family. That's part of his glory as well, isn't it? Last point, full of grace and truth. Teddy, where are you with your anointed musical fingers won't you come and play verse 14 says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as the only son full of grace and truth the passion translation says speaks about jesus who came from the father overflowing with tender mercy and truth and that word tender mercy is translated like this loving kindness and goodness the Greek word is charis. It's translated to grace, favor, sweetness, pleasure, and delight. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus came full of those things. It says, how the translator combined all of those concepts together, and he formed the word tender mercy, saying that Jesus is full of everything that you and I crave. And it's interesting that the phrasing is grace and truth. First grace, then truth. I'm not building any kind of theology. I'm just saying God is so good that he's gracious first. Then the truth needs to come out. When he comes towards you and towards us, he comes towards us graciously. It's his loving kindness that leads us towards him in repentance. If anything, John is displaying how good the Father is and how much the Son is displaying how good he is. Don't worry about Teddy. You can look at me. Jesus came full of grace. Friends, this morning we approached his throne. He is so gracious the way he looks towards us. And there's a wonderful truth part that we get to walk in is where we're at. God, this is where I'm at. I know that you're gracious and I know that you love me, but this is where I'm at. And I say, but, because sometimes we are facing stuff and we need God to break in. Sometimes there is a, often a veil that is so thin and so easy to break through, but we need God's help to see through, to break through those things. Jesus has come so full of grace.